Wow, thank you. We broke that devil hurricane. We broke that devil drought. Now we're going to break some devil dams. <laughs> you know those uh, dams are up in Laos, actually, which is north of uh, Cambodia. There's 180 of them. And the Mekong River starts in China, comes down almost 800 miles, basically forms most of the border of Laos and, and Thailand, and then comes down, uh, and the Cambodia is immediately underneath the Laotian border, and from there to the South China Sea, it comes right through the middle of Cambodia, the Mekong River, and then it forks and becomes the Mekong Delta with the Basak and the Mekong going down into Vietnam. Vietnam only has a little bit of it, but it, of course, became famous during the war, and uh, it gets very wide down there. <clears throat> anyway, I want to tell you a story today, and hopefully when I get done, you're going to see God is a whole lot better, the devil is a whole lot worse, and yourselves as a whole lot more redeemed than you ever dreamed possible. My story begins back in the time when we came there in 1998. And uh, before I get into it, I want to show you a quick little video. Um, people say, how did you get 6,000 churches started? That's not real. That can't. You're, you're exaggerating. Well, when you raise 20,000 kids, literally, in your church buildings... And you start in 1999, and then you go forward. That's 20 years ago. Uh, some of them were teenagers when we took them in. They're young adults now, and there are thousands of them that have seen everything between the fights from the pastor and his wife, the funerals, the weddings. They've taught Sunday school, led worship. They have daily devotions. They have helped lead the church. And what can you teach them when they graduate from high school and go out into the world? Um, they really don't need Bible college. They've been in one. So these are the kids that have gone out and really changed the nation, and I want to brag on them a little bit, so let's watch this together. Hi, Ted and Sue Ulbrich from Cambodia. We came here 21 years ago, and we've seen five to 6,000 churches established, home groups, and hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. Signs, wonders, and miracles too numerous to mention. And people say, what's your future? We say, well, we'd like you to see the future. Hello, my name is Kamra. I am a church leader in SUP Cambodia. Hello, my name is Bagra. My name is Sokna. I am Rosa. Hello, my name is Renying. Hello, my name is Tani. Hello, my name is Lida. My name is Samad. I am a pastor. I am Naret. I am a leader. I am a youth leader. A woman, a pastor. Children pastor, worship leader, youth leader. I am a youth pastor in FCOP Cambodia. We have seen the church grow in FCOP Cambodia. In 1999, we have only one church. Now, we have a lot of church and small group all over Cambodia. At COP Cambodia, we are working hard on our rice farm because we are support our orphan 
and our church uh, community around Cambodia. A lot of people, they have sickness, they have disease, and some of the family doesn't have a lot of food to eat, and they didn't have clean water to drink. And this is the reason why we are growing right, and we want to help our people around Cambodia. We are SCOP Church. We are also grow animals like pig, cow, chicken, fish, duck, and we are grow fruit and vegetable like banana, mango, morning glory, and something a lot more. When I was young, my life is very uh, difficult and my family is very poor. But SCOP helped me and my life is now is better because SCOP sent me to go to school. Now I graduate from university and my life is uh, more completely changed and better. There are a lot of kids have a lot of story or testimony like me. We are grow up in SCOP home and our life changed. Now we are much more better than before. And now we want to lead our SCOP Cambodia, lead our church around Cambodia, and we want to tell them about Jesus Christ. And especially we want to change our nation, change our nation to become a Christian country and tell them about the love from God. Together, 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 we will see Cambodia for Christ. Cambodia for Christ. We will see Cambodia for Christ. Cambodia for Christ. We will see Cambodia for Christ. Amen. Obviously, we got there and we had nothing to work with. We had one little small church in a third floor tenement. And it just so happened, as we started to pray, basically begging God to break something open, because we didn't have a plan. Uh, we just knew we wanted to plant churches. I certainly had no idea that I'd wind up taking care of kids. We got these kids dumped on us, and on this little third floor, uh, you could only get there through a back alley. Uh, there was a hole in the roof about six feet in diameter. Every time it rained, it became a swimming pool. Uh, it was a horrible situation. Two young men walked in that had been kicked out of another denomination because they'd both uh, been divorced and remarried, and uh, they needed a place to go to church. And so we took them in and accepted them and loved on them. Anyway, uh, they became uh, pastors in our movement, and we sent one of them up to a province in 1998. Cambodia just stopped fighting the war that for us began in Vietnam. They'd been fighting for over 30 years. And Pol Pot didn't die until 1998. People don't know that because the big um, 
you know, the big holocaust that wiped out one-third of their population took place between 75 and 79. But it went on for another 20, almost 20 years fighting. And he was the controller of seven of the 23 provinces in Cambodia, still in 1998. So when they finally made a truce, went up to the largest of those seven provinces, which was run by the communists of Pol Pot, uh, we sent this one young man named Daniel. And when he got there, he started telling them about Jesus Christ and who he was and what he did. And they got done listening to his story. They said, you know, there's a village about two days' walk out in the jungle. They, they talk about a God like yours, but they, they, they don't know his name. They say he's the God who hung on a cross. So Daniel's kind of mystified by that, so he takes off down the jungle path. Two days later, he gets to this village, and he meets this middle-aged woman who 20-some years before that had been a young bride married to the village mayor. And in 1979, Pol Pot's troops came in, and they took all of the educated people, all the people who'd served in the Cambodian military, all the people who'd worked for the government, all the school teachers, anyone with an education, and they brought them in, and they basically gave them a condemnation trial. They tied their hands together and, and a long twine string and led them out into a rice paddy and gave them shovels and mattock picks and told them to start to dig. And they dug this big ditch. And after working several hours, they were commanded to kneel down. They were blindfolded, and they knew what was coming. They didn't bother to waste bullets on them. They clubbed them on the back of the head with a mattock pick. So they're all there, 20-some, 30 people, uh, screaming out. They're praying. They don't know who to pray to. And uh, some were screaming out to Buddha. Some were calling on other spirit gods on their ancestors, someone to help them. And this one young woman who was married to the mayor remembered as a young girl traveling to Phnom Penh, the capital city, with her mother in a bus. And they went by a Catholic church. And on the top of the Catholic church, they saw a cross with Jesus on the cross. And she was curious about that. And she said, Mommy, what is that? Oh, she said, that's a foreign religion. And that's their God who hung on a cross. And so all she knew was that. And somehow it came to her, and she started crying out, God who hung on the cross, help us. And there was like a, a flash of, they could see through their blindfolds, like a booming kind of thunderclap flash. And this voice came out of heaven. Everyone heard it said, yes, I am the one true God. I am the God who died to save you. No one will die today. And they all heard that and they started to work with their shoulders on the blindfolds and eventually pushed them up and they looked back and their executioners, all the Khmer soldiers, had disappeared. They were never bothered again. Here it is 20-some years later and Daniel's there and he says, I want to tell you his name. His name is Jesus. Of course, they were overjoyed to find out who their God was, and they started teaching them about him, and they, of course they built the church there, and there's a thriving church there now. But the interesting thing is they started asking questions that we weren't prepared to answer. 
Because Daniel said, you know, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, all-loving God. Well, they'd say, well, if God is so good, how come he, he created the devil? And if God is so good, how come he let Adam and Eve fall in the garden? Boy, that'll stretch you. So they came back, he came back with the questions. He said, I didn't really have answers for them. I said, well, they, they want to know, is God really good? And I said, I know he's good, but why did he create the devil or allow him to rebel? And so I started to pray, and I prayed, and I, you know, I prayed in the Spirit. I prayed for hours and days. God, help me give them an answer that will satisfy them. And I know that's been the question of the ages. If God is good, why is there evil in the world? And that's been asked by people from Albert Einstein and everybody about else that's ever struggled with the faith. And so we look at that, and we need to know. And I said, God, I need to know. And finally, he took me to the book of Genesis, and I want to put that up on the screen, but you don't have to open there. It's going to pop up for you. Hopefully, we've got it. I think we do. If we don't, I'll read it to you. But you know how that went. In the beginning, you know, God made the heavens and the earth, and um, we know the story. The Father boomed out, let there be light. Then what happened? We know that it tells us in John that the, the the Word was with God in the beginning, in the beginning was with God, not anything that was done was done without Him. So Jesus was there helping the Father in the creation process. In the second verse, it says the Holy Spirit brooded over the waters. Okay? Then you get, go through the six days of creation. All right? You remember each day. And what was the one common theme? At the end of every day, God said, what did, we, what did he say, remember? It is good. It is good, it is good, it is good all through six days of creation. Even after he makes man, he says it. But then in the sixth day, he says to the Trinity, let us make God or make man in our image, in God's image. So he creates human beings, the first and only living object ever placed in this universe created in the image of God. There's no animal, no angel. Did you know that angels are created for a purpose? Lucifer was created for worship. Michael for war. Gabriel for communications. And they all had angels under them, and they had a specific function, but they were not created in God's image. They were created for a purpose. But God said, let us make man his ultimate creation. Though we may not have some angelic powers, we have something they don't have. We are created in the image of God. And I can prove it to you. Think of this just for a second. Imagine yourself on a beautiful white sandy beach in Hawaii watching the sunset sparkle on the waves. Every one of you is there, right? You saw yourself there. Imagine yourself on the farthest star of the universe, zooming out into space. You're there. Try that with your dog. I'm serious. There's no other created being that can think, and God moves at the speed of thought. The speed of light doesn't limit God. He's there. And you can do the same thing. And that's part of why you are 
created in his image, and, and that really should prove in your heart that God has something greater for you than just to live and die and go into a hole on the ground somewhere. So here we see God creating man in his image, and he said, let us give them dominion over all creation. Subdue it. Now, let me ask you something. If everything that's created is good, is good, 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 why do we have to have man control and subdue it if it's good? Obviously, God knew something was coming down the pike. We don't know a lot about the devil in his early days. What we do know comes from two passages in Scripture. There's one in uh, Isaiah 14, the other is in Ezekiel 28. And in Ezekiel 28, he's referred to as the king of Tyre. And uh, where are we at? Okay, let's go to, uh, yeah, are we there? Yeah, look at this. He's talking about Lucifer. And this is Lucifer, who's the anointed angel that covers, okay? You can see it on the screen. And basically, he's saying, you walked in the Garden of Eden. You walked in Eden. But he's not as the devil, not as the serpent here. He's as his glorious angelic self with his robes and his pipes. And he's the anointed cherub that covers. He was the big boss angel in heaven. Now, how could he be in the Garden of Eden? Obviously, it had to be created. So what this tells us is we know that he showed up to Adam and Eve as the serpent and deceived them. And in the face of perfection, no death, no suffering, no birth defects, no war, no hatred, no poverty, they're living in paradise, he convinces them to reject the truth of perfection and believe his lie, and he takes them captive. And it tells us that of whom a man is overcome to the same as he in bondage. It's a biblical principle. So Satan takes this most prized possession. Why does he do it? Because he was jealous, prideful. We know that from, you can look in that, see that portion in Isaiah 14. And so he says, they're created in his image. I'll show him. And he comes down and deceives Adam and Eve and he snatches the human race. But the amazing thing is God is all-knowing. And he had to see all that coming down the pike. So the question is, why? And God said, it's simple. Who am I? I said, you're God. No, who, what's my nature? I said, you're a spirit. No, he said, what, what is my nature? I said, well, you lo you're loving God. Yes, he said twice. It's in 3 John. God is love. Think of this. Because God is love, what does he desire from his creation that's created in his image? Love. What's the first great commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. What's the reciprocal of that? How did he pay that back? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, let's put this together and make it a little clearer because it's a little murky right now. If God is wanting love, why the devil? You cannot love 
It's meaningless unless you can choose to hate. What makes love so special? You've fallen in love. Huh? Well, when you were wooing your, your spouse or being wooed by your spouse, what made that so special? That this person who could choose anyone else in the world chose me. And it's exhilarating. Most of the songs and the poems and the movies are about love of some kind or another. And so we have this thing called love, but we can't have love if we... God didn't make us love robots. He could have made us all Stepford wives, you know, little machines, love machines. If you can't choose to reject and hate and do evil, you can't choose to love. It's meaningless to God for a machine to love him. But you as a human being who can do evil, and we've seen a lot of that, and we just saw some more in Texas yesterday, to choose to love in the face of choosing evil is a fulfilling thing for the Father. And Jesus is the way. And it's because he loves us, he wants us to go through this process of choosing to love him and it fulfills life for us and it makes God, it actually fulfills God, desires our love. You say, yeah, but why we got to go through it about all these people? I mean, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and the, and, the, and the Noah's Ark and the Egyptians and all these people that God wiped out. Well, one thing, that was Old Covenant. Two, I'm not sure God was ever in the killing business. Do you think God has a death angel parked in a garage up in heaven? Every thousand years or so, he throws a new battery in and charges him up, sends him down to wipe out a few million people? I don't think so. You know, there's a very, very uh, little that's talked about in terms of Satan in the entire Old Testament. The Jews actually had no knowledge. Everything, good, bad, and ugly, was from God. You know, Job is the only book that really has a story that talks about Satan interacting with man. And here's this perfect guy, Job, God says, and you know, it's the oldest book in the Bible. It was written before um, the Pentateuch, oldest book, first book, maybe before the Abrahamic covenant. And so Satan strutting out there, you know, in front of God, walking to and fro on the earth, looking around, and God says, hey, hot shot, have you noticed my servant Job? There's a guy who eschews evil, and he doesn't follow you, and he loves me. No, it's not for nothing. It's just because you've blessed his life, and there's a blessing in obeying God, okay? And I don't think God turned Job over to the devil. All he did was say, hey, bright guy, you're the God of this earth. Everything he has is in your hands. And so George... Job comes under this satanic attack all the time thinking it's God and not being able to understand why. All the time it's the devil. Finally, the devil comes back after he kills his kids, wipes all his crops and all this stuff. Ah, you let me touch him, you know, man, skin for skin. He'll give anything for his life. And God draws a line and says, it's okay. 
He is in your hands. Don't kill him. And you know what Job goes through. And for 30-some chapters, all his friends are telling him, Job, you're such a jerk. Just admit it, that you're a jerk. And he won't do it because he wasn't. And he couldn't understand. And finally, God shows him the devil in Leviathan. He's all, put my hand over my mouth. I don't even know what I'm talking about. He didn't know there was evil in the world. And so here we are, you know, in this century, and we see lots of evil. We see people in wheelchairs. We can't understand it. Why are some people in wheelchairs and some not? Why are kids born with birth defects? Why, why are there wars? Why is all this hatred going around right now? There is a devil, and he's out to get you, and he's out to deceive the world. And what does God want? That all men come to know Christ. He doesn't desire anyone to go to hell. He didn't create hell for you. He don't want to send you there. People think God's got this big fly swatter in the sky waiting for somebody to get out of line so he can whack them. God's not in the killing business. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. I, for this reason, was the Son of God manifested. What? That he might destroy the works of the devil. What's the first thing that happens when Jesus doesn't do anything for 30 years in the carpenter shop, comes out, gets baptized, filled with the Holy Ghost, and the first thing he does is he's dragged out to the desert to confront whom? Satan. He endures three great temptations, knocks him out, three out of three, and the devil leaves for a more convenient time. And he finally thought he won when he got Jesus crucified. But he actually committed suicide. Because it's when we look at Jesus and we reject what we see in this world, it's a complete mirror reversal of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because in the Garden of Eden, in the face of perfection, they chose to believe the lie. We look at the lie, the corruption, and we have to believe in the ultimate truth and the good of God, and we flip it. And we're right back in the standing of God in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were before the fall. That's what it means to be propitiated. You are in the same place just as though there had never been any sin in your life, past, present, or future. You say, I mean, I can't sin anymore? Yeah, your meat sack can, but your soul and spirit are clean. <laughs> These things, they like the stuff. That's why we leave them behind. <laughs> Let them burn or rot. We're going to heaven without them. We'll get new ones later on. But you see, God loves us, and he loves us so much that, you know, the amazing thing is all these people that got wiped out in the Old Testament, it says, it, it tells us in Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 4 that he preached to all the people in captivity, all the people in hell at the time of his resurrection, and he went down and he preached just... Imagine this, all these people in Hades or whatever they call it, they're there, and he's 
telling them, look, hey, Hush, you guys did all this bad stuff. Now, don't you want to come up to heaven with me? I'll give you grace too. How many of you think people down there actually stole, you know, raised their hand and said, I'm going to stay down here and roast for a couple more millennia? I don't think so. I think he emptied out hell. And you say, well, what about people today? We, have, we live in the age of grace. But you have to accept Christ. See, how do you beat an insidious devil who steals, kills, and destroys? He is the author of death. Look at this in Hebrews chapter um, 2, verse 14. It says that he partook of flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. Huh? Do you think they share the power of death? You know, actually, the Luke 12 gets it wrong. It says, you know, um, I'm going to, don't fear those who can kill the body, and after that have nothing they can do. I will show you whom to fear. Fear him. And they make it a capital H, who after capital H, he has killed, has the power to send you to hell. Matthew gets it right. It doesn't make the killer God. Now, one of them is wrong. And it's the, the, the King James interpreters in the Bible, it's the killer is not God. It's a murderer who kills. You don't have to be afraid of the murderer. You have to be afraid of the one who's going to judge your soul. That's God. God's not a killer. It's just like John chapter 9, where they walk out of the uh, temple, and they see this blind guy. And the disciple, hey, Jesus, who sinned? This guy or his parents said he's born blind. And like everybody else, we always think because this guy's in a wheelchair, that guy's blind, this guy's with a birth defect, they must have done something bad. That's a crock. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, and we, but that the glory of God might be shown, and the morons put a period there. So it reads like, I made this guy blind so I could look good. The father made this guy blind so Jesus could get his jollies by healing him. Look like a superstar. That is a sick God. That period should not be there. Here's the way it should read. Neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the glory of God should be shown. I must work the work of him who sent me while it is day because there comes a time of darkness when no one can work. And he heals him. He kicks the devil's butt. That's a good God. No wonder we got so much mixed up theology in this world. God is so good, he sent his only begotten son to die for you. Now, are you smart enough to say yes? How do you fight a dirty, rotten, sneaky devil like that? I didn't put this up on the screen, but... Revelation chapter 12, I want to close with this. We're going to do it really quick. You know, Revelation is a book I usually don't teach out of because there's so many schools of theology and eschatology. I've read 100 books on Revelation, never found two that agree. I've tried to teach it multiple times, and every time I teach it, I read a new book, and I say, whoops, I got that wrong. <laughs> I've developed the Mark Twain School of Theology regarding Revelation. Just one damn thing after another. 
But it's scripture, and it's the word of God, and it's good for correction, reproof, and instruction. And it says very clearly, he's speaking of things that are things that shall be and things that have come to pass. So he's talking about past, present, and future. So don't try and set dates with the book. But I want you to see this. Where do demons come from? Well, we have a theory in Cambodia. We believe they came from the angels that were under Lucifer. And they all got kicked out of heaven when he rebelled. And that comes out of Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found them for them in heaven any longer. Any questions about who we're talking about here, okay? So that great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by one, the blood of the Lamb. You need a bloodbath. You haven't had a bloodbath yet. You need to get one. How do you do that? Jesus, I accept you as my Lord, and I give you my heart, and I thank you for dying for my sins. Amen. You're saved. Don't make it hard. The blood of the Lamb. The word of your testimony. It's not this, you know, we used to have to give a three-minute testimony. We were in full gospel businessmen. It was when you, oh, I was a sinner boy. I was drunk, crawling down the sidewalk one night. I crawled by the Baptist church. I heard this pastor cry out, hey, sinner boy, come on in and receive Jesus. And I crawled in, and they got born again. Well, that's great. I mean, I'm not mocking that. A lot of us did things like that. But that's your history. What's your testimony? What are you doing now? What's going on in your life? I like Jesus' testimony, Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Now, you all got a name, right? When I lift my finger up, say your name. Ted. Okay, no, now do it again. Okay, now get ready. When I lift my finger up, do it again. How God anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with us. Amen? Amen. And the third one, they loved not their lives to the death. Devil, take your best shot. Make my day. I'm looking forward to getting dead someday. Devil wants to scare me. He says, I'm going to kill you. Ha! Go ahead. Hit turbulence coming over Japan, you know. Cups flying, bouncing on the ceiling. Everybody kind of, ah! I'm saying, yes, Lord, quick and easy. <laughs> ah! Plane levels out, and I said, I got to go back and feed kids. <laughs> Getting dead is a blessing for a Christian. It's a horror for those that haven't received Christ. So if you haven't made your choice, it's a good day to make it. And that's all I've got to say. God bless you and thank you for having me.